Welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show tonight, Rick. How are you doing? How you doing there, Sean? You are from uh, Slamming 24-7 Spies, man. It is so good to have you. you so good to be here. <laughs> I remember hearing you uh, had an internship for Combat and Effect and Relativity Records. And there was a handful of bands that oh, I, got my, yeah. I, got, I got my sticky hands on. I can tell you, I got Steve I, I got Scatterbrain, and I got you guys. All that time, man. Yeah, Hollis so Queens. Hollis Queens was the beginning of a great career for us. And, you know, from Howie Abrams to, you know, all the cats that was back then, you know, it was um, a dream come true. How, how did you... Your sound was totally different. There's very few bands that were. I can't think of anything that sounded like you guys at the time. Where do you guys come with that sound? It's just like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's quite a, it's, it's a lot for an evolution. You know what I'm saying? It just feels like it's like. Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to just say where does it jump off, but the jump off point for us and what culminated the sound of what we did Um kind of really goes back to a time when, you know, myself and Jimmy were musicians that had worked together on several projects. And we're thinking, we're talking 1985. And the only thing that was really happening in that era of the 80s, it was Prince. Time, you know, Prince and, uh, you know, the time. uh, Yeah, ready, ready, Ready for the world, Marston, you know. If there were rock musicians and they were black, they definitely wasn't that. It was cameo. It was, you know, all these other acts. And if it wasn't that, it was Luther Vandross and, you know, uh, you know, dance groups. You know, anything. You know, nothing that was nothing heavy. Yeah, that rock and ethereal feels. And it was all just that. And you know. Although my Jimmy had been in several different bands and doing covers and stuff like that, I remember I came over to his house and he had Motley Crue, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And I'm thinking, and yeah, I, me and Jimmy are like these young cats, you know. And, yeah. And I was just like, you know, he's from the projects, this black kid from the projects, and I'm like, Motley Crue, what the hell is that? And he put on that shit. She's got looks to kill pretend. I was like, yo. That bass sounds this. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, wow. I said, well, dude, come over to Miles. I got some stuff I want to play. I had talking heads, you know. Nice. What? I didn't know. He didn't know. And so we started going back and forth to each other's music class. Deeply that everybody knew we were just closet rockheads. I was into fusion. So I was into Stanley Clark and, you know, and Chick Corea, Return to Forever. I was listening to like Jaco Pistorius, Joni Mitchell. I was listening to P-Funk. And when I was listening to P-Funk, I was listening to like the Ohio players and Jimmy was going from James Brown to and Bootsy, but also he was listening to like, you know, George Duke. And then if it went there, it was like the platters and he had, cause his record collection was so vast. So we, a lot of times we were finding that a lot of, bands listened to a lot of stuff but they wanted to mm-hmm. play it safe so they stayed in right. one place fast forward when the sound came about it was because i was tired of the rb cover scene that i had been doing and myself and jimmy had an opportunity to embark on a group that was just at the beginning of the rap scene and uh it was this crazy band i you know name doesn't matter it's called outrageous 
And uh, we, we, the guitar, the leaders of it were these fraternity brothers that were into rap, but they wanted a rock feel to their music. Oh, that would never work nowadays. <laughs> and so we're like, oh, that's not gonna fucking work. That's, that shit will never fly, bro. <laughs> And so, <laughs> and we're talking like now it's like 86, you know, 1984, 85, 86. And, you know, no, 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 it was great, man, you know. And we had these outrageous outfits, you know. We were playing in our underwear and long dress coats with high top white sneakers and fedoras and, you know, putting oil all over our fucking selves and playing. <laughs> it's like, and we're playing at the Harlem State Building on 125th Street and oh like in God. front of all of these. And they handed out free Newports back then, you know, when they used to hand out free <laughs> cigarettes, you know, in the pack, you know. And, and we're like doing this shit. We're going, at, you know, we're, we're going crazy. Jimmy's got the spiked hair and I got some some uh, cameo spiked stuff. And, and we're like, dude, this shit is weird. It's not working. But the crowd was like, I was get off the stage. But it got us in the Apollo. It got us like all these major shows because these guys were into the comedy clubs. So they had connections. So we like, there's something about this that we're, we don't know how it's going to connect. And finally, uh, it came about an old band member uh, that Jimmy had worked with by the name of Peter Fluid. And Anthony Johnson came later, but we had another drummer named Kim Do Fives. I get a call, you know, I'm like in the, I'm, I'm in the worst part of my life. I'm just like, I'm, I'm held up in my apartment with like, with fucking 40 ounces of beer. You know, nobody even knew what, you know, weed and smoking anything I could put in me and, and listening to like, like old jazz records just sitting there like. How sad. <laughs> I got no band. I got a job. I got a horrible ass girlfriend and Jimmy calls me out of nowhere. He goes, yo, what are you doing? He goes, yeah, I got you this this guy that wants to start this band, but we don't know what it's gonna be, but your bass player would be perfect. And I said, one, so when can we meet? And we met, met this oddball named Peter Fluid, better known as Peter Forrest. Oh, That's oh, yeah. right. I fucking yeah. called him out and put you Peter Forrest. And uh, we got together and the rest is history because we had seen we were going to shows. We was going downtown to go see Red Hot Chili Peppers. We were going mm -hmm. to see Fishbone. We were going to check out these other acts that had all this this energy and wildness. And, and the rest was history after that. Well, now, the sound that we began with, you know, there's an, we have an early cassette um, that really uh, puts together uh, the spy's history. I don't know if it's around. But it's the life and times of Walter Radimus. And in that, we have an early, oh, here it goes, the early uh, period of 24 7 spies. And I think it's, you know, I think it's on one of these discs. Uh, it was the rebirth edition. No, it wasn't this. Yeah, 24 7 spies. It's the limited, this is a limited edition DVD. Okay. And this, this DVD tells the story and the history of Spies from the beginning to where we are. And um, when we started out, we were like, weird. We were like, we liked a lot of television cartoons. I just finished watching a Bugs Bunny piece 
where you know the theme song is well that was originally bugs bunny elmer fudd they were doing a screen test right and he goes bugs bunny show and you know we would hear those melodies and go and start playing it and then we go oh we're gonna use that in the song because nobody knows what that is. That's so let's brilliant. take that part of the song, but let's use a song that has the same feel. So we go, oh, well, what about, you know, like fucking skin tight by Ohio players? Okay. How are we going to do that? And it was like this. And people were like, whoa, whoa, what the hell are y'all doing? We were like, we don't care. Uh, yeah, I, when I heard you guys look at the tape, <laughs> didn't even have, didn't even have our work on it when I got the first one. I listened to it. I put it in. I, I, for a week, I just didn't take anything out. I could not believe, you know, girls with the time goes, if you check these guys out, you're not going to believe them. I was like, and there was nothing, you know. I think you guys were different oh. than Fishbone. You guys were different, you know. The, the closest you guys were, and, you know, to label mates would be Scatterbrain being different types of music infused oh, you're right um, fantastic another fantastic band um but and i was talking to me tonight actually but like faith the more took off similar but not 100 percent. but just like yeah. chili peppers but you guys kind of should have been you guys and i felt you guys in scatterbrain should have been like right up there getting the accolades i kind of felt like you know well, that was because when, in effect, that's when we got really introduced. I watched your uh, interview with um, uh, you did your Mur- with Murphy's Laws. Uh, Lee oh, guy. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Jimmy Gasapo. Yes. And in the early days of when we started out playing, we would go into hardcore matinee shows, and we mm-hmm. would like get on CBGB's bill, and. But we're still playing this quirky, weird shit. And then we'd watch yeah. these kids with these like rapid fire power chord songs that were like two minutes or a minute and 30 seconds. And we were like, okay, we're looking at the crowd, the way they react when they hear this mm-hmm. angst. And we were, <clears throat> now we started to morph it. We said we needed to morph the sound a little bit. And it just so happened that our drummer that we had in the band he was able to adapt and he didn't understand it. So we went to a Murphy's Law show and they would do Murphy's Law, arf, 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 Murph, yeah. beer bong and they're pouring the beer, you know, and you know, it, the, the, the pit was so powerful in my trouble. Being a black kid from the Bronx is like, yo man, these white kids is fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> yo, why they fighting each other? And we're like, nah, man, you don't get it. It's called mosh pits, you know, because we were going to the hardcore shows and Ken yeah, Newton he was hanging no. out uptown with his 40 and his crew. And he was like, I'm not going downtown with you guys. And finally he did the show and he saw it. And then, so this kid bumped into him and he was like, I said, no, 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 he's dancing, man. You don't <laughs> hit him. He goes, word. He starts pushing him back and then he jumps in and starts swinging. <laughs> And he came out, he was sweating. He's like, right. yo, this shit is fun. I was like, oh, you see, oh, yeah. yeah. That was the early days when it wasn't so bad, you know? 
It wasn't bad. So it was bad brains. It was that. It was Murphy's Law. Faith No More. We didn't really, didn't hit us then, but, you know, Chili Peppers, you know, like I said, you know, uh, um, we were going to those early shows and it was bad brains did it for us. It was like, yeah, I mean, they, that was it. Another band that should have been bigger. And we decided right then and there, no, we got to change the way we're playing this. We got to, we want this to have a core. It's got to be, <clears throat> you know, it's got to be, you know, fast beats, you know, whatever, 186 beats per second. The faster, the better. By the time we were in our energy, it was yeah. like doing 220 beats per second. And the music was like racing. And then. How much training you all- did you have prior on, on bass? How much did you go to classes for bass? Or did you learn or? No, I'm a I'm an ear trained guy. I don't I don't read I don't read music or nothing. Is, I can I hear something and I just go, hmm, okay, how does that go? Hear pure musicality. That is beautiful. It's it's great. You know, it's yeah. fantastic. Just the sound self ed Jimmy. Yeah. Both feels, of us never yeah. never had any kind of pro, uh, prior training. I think Jimmy, we both went to had music training as kids. I started on a clarinet. And the I want to say the, the gateway, <laughs> the gateway drug. drug better a kazoo <laughs> yeah yeah uh, you know, it was another thing that hand the hand recorder or something that's another one yeah. oh yeah i could play that on bass and i wanted i wanted to be a trumpet player that was my first choice i wanted to be a trumpet player my mother's like ain't no way in hell you play that up in here <laughs> and uh i when i graduated high school this kid gave me a bass and I said, cool. So I snuck it in the house. And um, I got past my mother and everything, put it in the room. Very religious household. So, you know, none of that shit going on yeah. on Sunday and stuff. My mother was working all week. And, you know, she'd come home tired from working. And, you know, I was the only one still living at home. Everybody was out the house at this point. And she said, why you had to come up with like this music thing? It's like the room is always loud and, there's all this smoke in the other room. What's going on in there? Oh, my school. <laughs> yeah. Incense burning, change the light bulbs and everything. Oh. You're like the last kid. She's like, I think I got this. I'm almost done with this. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's all I did. I locked myself in a room with a bass. I didn't play basketball, football. I didn't join the kids in the park. I would be upstairs nerding out, man. And you know, and that was it, you know. And and uh, one guy <laughs> had a friend of mine. He was like, "Yo, dude, when are you gonna meet some girls?" I said, "I <laughs> don't have time. I'm like trying to learn this instrument." And that was the first time he goes, "Well, here, you should keep one of these just in case you want to meet a girl." <laughs> so he throws a fucking penthouse magazine, my first porno mag. I'm like, "Oh yeah!" So I fell in love with porno and bass playing. <laughs> you get better at one you get you get um yeah you have more girls you get better at bass yeah you know it was just like it helped you know so and then then i discovered when i did play bass in a band you know in the streets when i'm like about 15 16 after the show all the girls came to talk to me there you go the, the, the fact that you and, you and jimmy get along so well musically like from the very beginning the connection defines you know, amused to find somebody like that where so much of your life is, is such a lucky thing, you know, that you guys are so good together. It's it's like you guys are born together, like, you know, 
separate, hey, separate in the hospital. Yeah. You can high five each other outside the other, you know, the cribs there. Yeah. Well, because they have a couple of years between us, not much, but a few years. He's an old soul. And, you know, he's been here before. And I was exceptionally, I mean, I was really gravitating toward it because once I started playing, you know, we're in the projects. So a lot of our life was spent like as kids playing in bands that battled other bands from projects. Like I said earlier, that's how Jimmy and Peter met. They were in rival bands. Um, And um, I had a band that wasn't a rival to anybody's band, but we were like this underground. We knew like a lot of really cool songs that we would play, but we always made sure we stuck to the instrumentation. One keyboard, one guitar, one drummer, and a female singer. So we will do Chaka Khan. We would do Betty Davis. Uh, we would do um, uh, we would do like anything that had you know many Ripperton songs, songs by you know artists. Like I said, like Joni Mitchell. I was like, yo, you gotta learn this song. You know, help me, I'm falling in love. And this girl's from the project. She's like, oh, I gotta know that. And here we are practicing, and people are like. Been so Is that good. your own music? Because oh, it really sounds great. And we're like, ah, they think it's an original. And I would make up bass lines. And I had this guitar player. Y'all pray for my boy, Ron Quayley. He had a stroke about uh, two weeks ago. So he's been in the hospital. This cat that I played with. And he was, he was enamored with my music selections of music. So he goes, okay, cool. And so... Jimmy was discovering the same thing about himself musically. So once we started talking, because a lot of times I couldn't talk music with a lot of my friends, my peers mm-hmm. would like, no, they, that's just how corny. Some white boy music, man, it's just how corny, man. What is that? I'm like, I'm seven years old. I love the Beatles. I love the Rolling Stone, the Dave Clark Five. And, good. you know, but in the other room, my sister's listening to Hendrix, you know, and Sly and the Family Stone. And then my mother's listening to Arthur Prysod, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lou Rawls. <laughs> it shows, though. It's, it's great. I mean, I have a, a love of everything like that, too. So, I mean, I think it's fantastic. And I think, that, yeah, you guys didn't hold it back. Everything you guys heard, you put back into your music, you know, and it's and you're doing it. I mean, and I don't know how you guys have stayed strong, like, so Jimmy didn't sing in the beginning, but now he's singing in the later albums. When did he discover he's a well, great singer? He's a great singer too. <laughs> he was always he was always the one that did the vocal range. You gotta understand Jimmy is the producer. He is the he's produces at ninety nine point nine 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 percent of everything you heard by spies. And although my songwritership started coming in as I got into the group. And he was was like, your songs are my favorite songs for the album. So please, can I write like the lyric melodies? I'm like, sure, dude, kill it. So his vocal arrangements, his singing, his ear for background vocals and what to be sung was all based on when it was time for him to write. He was, and he was doing it in his other band. He was the bass player and he was the singer in the band because everybody's singing his old band. Right. And that's where we all came from. Everybody has to sing in the band. It's like, I hate these suck-ass bands. I won't name no names, but the whole band is lined up. They got a lead singer, 
There's all these background vocals on the record and nobody goes no, to the mic and sings. So the whole show, the microphones are there. I'm just like, I know. So when we went to see King's X, we were like, are you freaking kidding me? We said three guys, mm-hmm. three vocalists, three instruments. I'm like, we don't fucking need, you know, well, Peter quit. Right. And we felt as though since the band was already signed to a label, let's get a lead singer. And we got Jeff uh, Broadnax. Mm-hmm. And then Anthony quit. We wanted to get Joel Matoza. And then it wasn't too long after that uh, when Jeff kind of kind of quit the band but didn't want to do it anymore. We don't really know what the hell happened with Jeff. But, you know, it, it just didn't work out. He wanted to go do other things. So I said, well, Jimmy, what do you want to do? He goes, I'm going to start singing. The hell with that. Because we were always singing the backgrounds. He goes, I know all the songs because I wrote them. I just had Peter you know, up front, yeah. just being like, you know, mimicking what Jimmy intended the songs to sound like, but Peter never did that because he would get to the stage and it would turn to something else. Right. So it was when we did um, uh, Heavy Metal Soul by the Pound. It was after Temporarily Disconnected and Anthony left and Joel came in and then uh, so this would be that was that was the combination after uh, strength in numbers. Then came temporary uh, disconnected, and then we came out with um, uh, the the record that had all three of us on there, and that was the beginning. And we never looked back. It was like, no, you don't need all these singers, Jimmy. You gotta yes. do it all. It's like yes, yeah, well, less memory you have to worry about too, right? It's worth the lead singer. <laughs> three, hey, three people getting paid, not four. Right. It's the King's X. Yeah, the King's X is great. Um, you have an album. I want to say, is the soundtrack to the Innermost Galaxy the, the most recent album that you guys have out, right? Yeah, Sean. It, it is so good. It is so strong. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah, everyone's got the vocals on it. So, like, I was like, man, I don't know. There's like no, everyone's singing, everyone's playing like at 120% different parts of different songs and it's so cohesive that it's it's, it's magical man um thank you, you know, is there any special stories from any of those songs that you know oh boy i know right well uh you know there's a lot of special meanings to these songs but this record came because there was there was no music from us uh the last record we had that was face the day that was our second debut as a trio after a uh, heavy Metal Soul by the Pound. And the, we did Face the Day that featured uh, Tobias Ralph on drums, me on bass, Jimmy on guitar. And that was almost like uh, an abbreviation from where the band had t- taken a huge break. Myself and uh, Jimmy just went in separate directions. And we were like, you know what? We got to do something. I got to yeah. I gotta live another life than just being this musician because responsibilities are getting heavy and you know you're not we're not signed to a deal and mm-hmm. you know what are we gonna do no i'm not gonna go play bass with somebody else's band you know no like, oh, it was rick scale actually i went out with bad brains and played bass for a short stint and i was supposed to be on for like about seven nights or something like that it might have been five or six shows mm-hmm. 
by the time I got to the third one, Daryl Jennifer came back. He was supposed to be gone the whole time because there's some medical issues with the family. I was fucking the shows up. I mean, I was beasting the hell out of his music. Oh. And it got back to him. They're like, yo, Rick Skater's killing Ben Bad Brains, dude. I don't know. He really sounds good <laughs> at Bad Brains. And then I just went there. Joseph I and Mackie was on drums. Dr. No. <laughs> so that's pretty funny but uh i just had a sidebar to talk about what bad oh, race i meant to tell that story um a lot of things that happened um mostly jimmy because you know when it comes down to songwriters you know he's you know we have witnessed something close to like 14 people that passed away and think about this this is way before covid Oh, I was going to say this it album was, feels, feels, feels like spiritual, sort of. It was That's, completely out of all of the life that was lost around us. In hindsight, we didn't know we would lose Ronnie Drayton right after the record was done. Um, and that's where a lot of it was from, the emotional aspects of the, some of the music. Actually, it started with Home. That one song was the one song that he demoed up. That was his first time hearing music because there was a time like neither one of us could hear music. It was like we, we were, my ears were dead. Like I didn't know what to write. I didn't know what I was going to write about. I couldn't, I couldn't grasp anything. And for Jimmy, and for me, it's like hard today because I only write a few songs on a record anyway, right. one or two, maybe three. For Jimmy, it was just like, dude, what's going on? What are you writing? What's up? What, what's, what, what, we, what you got, Jimmy? He's like, I got nothing. And besides, let me backtrack. It was on the tour of, um, oh, you're doing heavy metal soul by the pound. And mm -hmm. we were on tour. Um, we went back over to go do, uh, what was it, Face Today? Yeah, it was Face Today. We went over to do Face Today tour. It was myself, Anthony, uh, oh, Tony Lewis, mm -hmm. Jimmy. And this was the same year Jimmy's daughter was born. Mm. And uh, we're doing fine. And we had to do a show in Austria. And we blew a tire. And our vehicle fishtailed down the highway and started flipping. Oh. And we were in one of the most horrendous crashes. We had never been in a car crash. I mean, we had little bumper things, but the tire blew and the truck careened off the road. Oh. And we're, in, we're literally on one of the fastest highways in Austria. And it ran head on into the guardrail, but because the angle of the trajectory made the vehicle bounce backwards and flip on the side and flow down the road, as opposed to going through the guardrails. And over the other side of the guardrail, it was just all straight down into the forest. Uh, we would have all been dead. And uh, he got home and he just wanted to hold his baby. That's all he knew, because he knew he almost died. And that was the beginning of like, I'm not fucking with the road right now. I'm not, you know, all of us went home, just completely shook up. Like, oh, that's it, I'm done with the music, I'm not, you know. But it was all these things that followed. He had his, his niece had gotten very ill. She died. And then there was just one after another after another death was just on him. And I was there for it, man. And then um, 
the one that really got it was Jeff Lee Johnson. And uh, great guitarist, great, one of the most underrated guitar players ever. And we were going to do a show together and uh, he was going to play with us on stage because uh, we were doing a benefit show for Ronnie Drayton's son, Donovan Drayton, who was arrested on a murder charge and he was not guilty, not never found guilty, but the prison system just took him and they just locked him up because he wouldn't rat. And so they go, okay, so you're going to do the crime. You're the, you're the trigger man. And he wound up spending five years in prison without even being booked or anything. He was slapped in Rikers without a court date or nothing. So we we had a benefit show to raise funds for that. And Jeff Lee Johnson was a player, supposed to play. Somehow or another, he came down with an illness and he caught pneumonia and he didn't do well after that. From that point, you know, his head had fallen off. And now Jimmy's just completely devastated because he had gotten a chance to meet somebody that he didn't know he had been listening to and found out who it was is Jeff Lee Johnson. It was such a curious thing. And when he heard his music and heard his playing. So, you know, by the time we did the record, Home was the launch record, the, the song that really told what was going on in his world. And then it was the next song after that, it was Thank You, you know, and that was on the flip side because we met Ronnie and we had a friendship and a kindred. We, we started thinking about making things happen and it was all good. And then, you know, and then the friend, then the next track was, um, oh God, uh, anthem, anthem, anthem. Yep. You know, that was, we had cut Anthem. Actually, Anthem was the first song we cut. Home was the first one we demoed up. Thank You is actually an old song that we had. Yeah. And we just revamped it and reach it changed everything about it. And then, you know, I wrote Blind Dreaming because I, you know, it's all about it's always about a female with me. I would have a dream about somebody that I was spending time with and I didn't know who she was. But every time I would go to sleep, it would be the same person. And I don't know if you've <laughs> ever had those dreams. You know somebody in a dream but you know who they are, but you have no connection to them. You know who they are. And I just thought it was a crazy topic that- It's a good topic. It's a, it's a good topic because when you go to sleep at night, you just can't wait to go to sleep so you can meet up with this person again. But it was kind of that was me expressing my true people that I lost in life. You know, my mother died, my father died, my aunt died. So I was the next one in line after all of his death, mine started happening. And that's when I had also, in that period of time, I discovered I was going to get sober. And so a lot of the, what that dream represents is a love affair that's gone. And Drum Blind Dreaming was the reason yeah. why I wrote that song. Um, yeah, and, you know, and all of the singers and the contributors on the record were just really phenomenal. And all of them came with open arms, just like, and we were just like, you know, let's see if we can call certain people to see if they want to. It feels it's, 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 it's upbeat. It has an upbeat thing to it. Think of all this, the catalyst of what it was. It's yeah. very upbeat, very upbeat album. It doesn't feel like a sadness album. It feels more like a rejoice album. It is a rejoicing album. It's a rejoice of life. And, you know, we really felt strong about all of the pieces and we took our time with it. 
I like the and, song order. The, the song order is good too. I think welcome and yeah. thank you and thank you together is is the tri-state, <laughs> if I may. <laughs> um, that's what it feels. It feels like those three are just perfect together. Yeah, and the order was definitely the way we found it to be. And uh, we had a moment where we were like, oh, maybe should we do we add two or three more songs? And you know, we were hashing around with the idea and. The interesting thing about how this record was written because Fish, Philip Fish Fisher from Fishbone, mm-hmm. he was he was on a project that we were going to do years ago, and A uh, and M was the project. It's an acronym and the line the way he said it, but we always like those words. Yeah, an anti one because we're not. We're not what that word represents. We're something even stronger than that. It's like a machine, you know, our accuracy. And we started this band and it, it had fish in it. And uh, Doug Pennick, Jimmy Hazel, myself, Greg Fulton, and Spacey T. That is a super group. Yeah, it was a super group. And we demoed up the music to send everybody to play, but then, you know, nobody could jump on the record. So it never happened. So Fish stayed on. Fish was like, whenever you go in the studio, man, let me know. So we started demoing up these ideas and tapping out everything on drum machines, but he's in LA. So we would send the tracks to him. He'd go in the studio, do his drums in LA, send it back to us. And we would demo over it. And we went to the studio. We used his live drum tracks in the room, but he wasn't in the room with us playing. Very interesting way to record a record. Needless to say, never do that shit again. (laughs) No, next time live, everything live in the room. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like things coming in his microphones, and when you're not there, you're like, hold up, check your top. I can hear. And then at one point, we had this really crazy thing that was going on, and we didn't know what it yeah. was. And it was his headphones. He could the music out, demo music, was playing. It was coming out through the earphones. Yeah, like bleeding in mic, bleeding right into the track. Yeah. And we're like, what is that? You know. And, we had to find a way to cover trust me it took like hours and hours of like editing to get to figure it out but uh but it was all part of how we came up with sounds because you know it all anybody who heard the record can't tell but you know we just had a great time doing that record and uh it was such a bittersweet moment because even uh ronnie had never been in the band had witnessed him playing on many, many, many people's records and never got credit. So when he came to the band, he was like, you got a song for us? That's a whole nother story because uh, we, when he wrote Repeating Myself, mm-hmm. he had a different sound in what he was hearing in his head. And we were like, nah, dude, that's not 24-7 Spies. And he's like, are you fucking kidding me? I've played on thousands <laughs> of records. I'm like a number one recording dude no I'm like yeah 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 we know you come from like a lineage of music and plus he was the you know he was the elder statesman so we were like you know and he knew like all this martial arts we didn't want to get fucked up in the studio so it was like so we're gonna you know do it spies but when it was finished he was like this I mean like he would well up in tears he goes that's my song and it's a 24-7 spy song now and we were like thank you we know what we're doing here let us help you. <laughs> so repeating myself is the first time Ronnie ever wrote a song and it was right up 
with like a strength in numbers feel. He knew exactly yeah. how he pulled it in, and it's on the record. It is not an oddball track. It fits right with everything. I have another good friend of mine named Kenny James out in California. He's he's trying to work some things out that are probably going to take place maybe later on, maybe in the summer or the fall of 2021, maybe summer of 2022. And, you know, to target new markets, it's going to be like going into to like Asia, you know, going to Japan, probably Korea, the Philippines, uh, because he's like, man, in Thailand, only six people died of COVID. What the fuck? And everybody's making money over there. Um, you know, but I, I worked all my years in between. I was a stylist, you know, uh, we do men's wardrobe clothing. So, you know, I would go to people's houses and do their fucking clothing line and go, hey, here's a check. And I'm like, oh, I like that, you know, that I eventually started doing it at, um, at department stores. And then I was in a really luxurious store and I made a lot of money. I had a huge 401k, so <laughs> good. I, you know, I kind of was. I'm the kind of like I when I wasn't on the road, I would come back off the road and I would do like construction work, you know. That was you know, or a handyman job or do something, you know, work in a music studio. I didn't always rely on the spies of tour. I'm a New Yorker, so it was like, yeah. okay, we off the road. Okay, let me go get a job. Yeah, a lot of like to do it. Right, just want to work. They have to do something. I keep moving forward. You can't just that's like a paycheck, you know. Because like I said earlier, it wasn't about me playing in another band. I'll record some stuff for you and play bass, right? But I'm not going to go out on the road and play bass and play your music. Right. I did that with Bad Brains one time, and I saw what it got me. It didn't work out for you, right? (laughs) It didn't work out for me. They fucking fired me like after three days. That's kind of where I'm at now. Um, Really not a great deal of uh, things have been popping up. But we're all, everybody's uh, in a good place. I know I talked to Fish recently, you know, and you know, the whole thing is we're all trying to stay well. We're just trying to stay healthy. So it's interesting. So Fish is in California as your drummer. Yeah. You've had a lot of drummers. Is he in California for safety? No, that's his residence. No, I know, mean, I'm joking with you because you've had so many. Don't want to keep them too close because all your drummers keep vanishing. You got to keep them in a safe spot. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. They don't really, They the only drummers that really vanished from the scene were Anthony Johnson, Can Do Fives. Uh, we had uh, was a drummer named Matt that played with us for a little short period of time. We had Carlton Smith that played drums with us for a short period of time from the Royal Crescent Mob. Um, those were like the exploding drummers, you know, like it was just I like, think, I know, really, your own spinal tap, huh? <laughs> you know, they do a show and they'd be like, ah, I can't do this, you know, it's like, <laughs> you guys, how do y'all do that? That speed, that sound of it, hitting the drums harder than ever. But we've been lucky to have a really core. Now our main drummer is uh, Tony Lewis because Tony Lewis, oh, 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 beast of a drummer, man. But he's from here in New York, so he has a permanent kind of gig because he's a jazz drummer. So mm-hmm. he's always got work, always, and he's always got like gigs, and he's got his own thing, uh, his own project he started, um, and you know. 
uh, I just talked to Tobias Ralph. We might go and work with, do some runs with Tobias Ralph, where nice. Tony Lewis can't do the shows. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and there might be a leg of the tour where neither one of them do it, then Fish will jump on the tour and play drums. But what everybody's learning to know that the core of 24-7 Spies is Rick Skate and Jimmy Hayes. Right, it is. They're they're just like a spice, just different, different flavors. What they are, you know, like Steely Dan, else. you know, like Steely Dan, you know. Mm-hmm. You guys are the core. That is you awesome. Know, thank you for it's just, it's all this great information tonight. I want to thank you. I mean, I'm I, sure. I, 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 it feels good to have so, a platform to talk about it. Before.